0: Nancy. Hi, Meg. Want to talk about coaching? Sure, Meg. Jump in. Welcome to Clarity Call with Meg Kierstead and Nancy Sun. A conversation between coaches about coaching. Join us as we examine all the thoughts and questions we have about coaching and coaching culture in our quest to become better coaches.
1: Spoiler alert, we are two human
0: beings with human brains making this up as we go along. So we invite you to use your being and your brain while you listen in.
1: All right. So today we're going to be talking about neurodiversity and its effects on coaching and does it have an effect? What What do we have to think about when we're thinking about people who have Different types of nervous systems. And this is something I am personally passionate about. I am neurodivergent myself, and we'll be talking about what all of this means in a moment. I have ADHD pretty severely and coming to terms with my ADHD and how it affects my life has been a big part of my journey. So I'm interested to dive into this today because I know there are a lot of coaches who, who also identify with that.
0: And while I do not personally identify as somebody who is neurodivergent. I do not have ADHD, or there is also a menu of other things that fall under neurodivergent as well. I have supported a lot of clients who are self-diagnosed, late diagnosed, or simply diagnosed with these conditions, including ADHD. So I'm speaking as somebody who has supported people who identify as neurodivergent, as well as a friend of someone, probably multiple people who are also neurodivergent. I think that might be a good place to start actually is just to explain what it means to be, there's so many neuro words, right? That are new to like everyday parlance or speak. So what does neurotypical or neuroatypical or neurodiverse or neurodivergent mean?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's, and I think for all of this, the definitions are evolving. So to sort of step back and look at the context of this, essentially the idea of neurodivergence and neurodiversity came out of the autism community where uh, I wish I had her name. I'll find it for to include in the show notes where a researcher essentially put forth the idea that autism, and other disorders, and I'm using bunny quotes for disorders, are actually just natural variations in human cognitive design. So essentially, that autism is not a disability, it is instead just a different way of our brains being configured. And that there are, there is a wide range of neurodiversity in humanity. So all of us are part of neurodiversity because every single person's brain is different pretty much by definition um there's the idea that like the wrinkles in your brain are like a thumbprint theoretically if we could like take your brain and put it on the paper not, no no one's wrinkles would be the same so we're all part of neurodiversity because there's a wide range in how our nervous systems function people who are considered neurodivergent have a specific um biochemistry physiology that's different from sort of what we consider to be the average biochemistry but once again there's a lot of differences that are natural. So they actually estimate that somewhere between 15 and 20% of the population can be considered neurodivergent in some form because their nervous system is different from the average in a significant way and these are physiological differences. So this is this is one of the important nuances.
0: Well, just hearing you say this also makes me wonder out loud about, and I'm saying this not because I have any experience or academic study in this area, but just what I know about science and what I know about medicine makes me wonder like who defined neurotypical and if what the people have decided is average or typical is actually truly what is average and typical for a more diverse inclusive uh population because i it makes me wonder if we're defaulting to a certain type of you know heteronormative cis white man as typical
1: yeah one of the appalling things about psychological research that is a secret that Uh, psychologists don't really like sharing and academia doesn't like sharing. The vast majority of psychological results, the stuff that we like hear like, you know, statistics about is done on college students in the Western world who are paid for their time. You can imagine how much that's gonna skew the results of our understanding of human psychology. Like if nothing else, a fun fact, our brains actually don't finish developing until around age 25 which means college students actually haven't finished their brain development yet. So of course, there's going to be differences there to say nothing of culture of, you know, different contexts. Certainly, there's some evidence that there's different neuro configurations in some areas of Africa, because they're much more hunter gatherers. There's a theory that ADHD actually came about because it's much more advantageous when you are hunting and gathering, because you're looking for all different signals in your environment. So, like, yeah, the definition's 100% skewed to say nothing of the fact that our understanding of things evolves over time. I mean, homosexuality used to be a disorder in the DSM three, two, I don't remember which one, but like in the 70s, until like the mid 70s, we considered being attracted to, you know, the sex we were born with as an actual disorder. So, a lot of this is evolving and is fascinating. Yeah.
0: Well, for me, it's just making me realize that although we may be talking about this as though there are circumstances that, you know, we have to consider that these also could be thoughts. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, like ADHD being a disorder is in fact a thought, in my opinion, like it's, it's in the name, but like the fact that it's a disorder is, is just a thought. And because there are plenty of people who think it's not a disorder, including me. Cool. All right.
0: Where do you want to go from here?
1: So I want to dive into how the range of human brains is going to affect coaching and if it does affect coaching. Because one of the things that I I certainly have been taught, I know you've done certification as well, is that like our tools are universal. They apply to everyone. Everyone who has a human brain can get benefit out of these tools. So I just want to make sure we look at them and see if that's actually true. And if it's not true, what can we do to make our tools useful for everyone?
0: Hmm.
1: Cool. So, um, I think the best way to go about this is maybe to look at you know one of the most sort of the common ways we frame things, which is looking at you know a thought model and mindset, which is you know understanding that circumstances cause thoughts, and thoughts cause feelings, and feelings affect how we show up in the world. So, I think let's we'll just like take apart each each line there and see if maybe they're going to be different depending on, you know, the type of nervous system you have. Cool. All right. So let's start with circumstances. Do we think circumstances change because, you know, a particular human
0: uh, has a different different brain? So I think this is something that we we just talked about offline that we want to bring into this conversation is we can totally have... I am diagnosed or I have ADHD, for instance, as a circumstance. That can totally be a circumstance or, you know, you personally posited, hey, it could be a thought because I don't really have that ADHD is a disorder. So I have that that can still work. And the thing that I had pointed to is um, really, what do we want to think about that circumstance or having that thought? about who we are or what we have, basically how we identify.
1: Yeah, so maybe maybe it's less about a circumstance being a fact and more about, is it gonna be empowering or disempowering?
0: Yeah, and really to figure out if it's empowering or disempowering are what are your thoughts about it? What are your thoughts about you and being neurodivergent? Yeah,
1: having say, being diagnosed on with autism spectrum disorder. What are your thoughts about that? Does that feel empowering or does that feel, you know, like it's limiting in some way? Yeah. Probably going to be a mix of the two, to be honest,
0: usually. Yeah. And just to, um, normalize it, you know, I have it that there's a lot of communication, media, systemic structures that would support one way to think about autism, ADHD, etc., which may, um, encourage you to think that this is disempowering simply because it is not average, normal, or typical. Right. And that that somehow means
1: you are not, you know, part of society or that society is just going to by definition judge you. Or, you know, find a reason to reject you in some way, shape, or form. It's the othering kind of concept.
0: Yeah. And so one is I don't want you to think something is wrong if you happen to have disempowering thoughts about it, because there is a lot of other circumstances that probably show up that would reinforce and encourage you and condition you to probably by default have disempowering thoughts about it. 100%. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, it's probably more likely that we have disempowering thoughts than empowering thoughts. Um, I know that's personally true for a long period of time, probably over a decade. The majority of my thoughts around my con- my condition in my brain were very disempowering. It's only recently when I've really gotten deep on, you know, loving my brain that 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 has started to change. So when I hear so when I hear ADHD, I don't immediately think well. I'm impulsive and I can't get anything done and I'm easily distracted. Now I think, oh yeah, I'm really creative and I have a ton of energy and I just devote my energy to interesting things. But it took a lot of time to get to that point where I could hear ADHD and think that. Yeah.
0: And just just to give the perspective of a coach who has had and does have clients who identify with this quote unquote disorder, whenever... I coach them. Like, my thought, especially as somebody who coaches artists, is like, I wonder what art they would be creating if they embraced, radically accepted, and shared their brain. Because my hunch is it is going to be so distinct, unique, different than what we are normally seeing. And I am so curious about what the impact that would have in the world, what it would have on other people like this person, what it would have on neuroatypical people, what it would have on people in general, regardless of what they identify with. And so over here, it's like my thoughts about it are also incredibly empowering is like what would change once our thoughts change about it? so that you can actually become the person, do the things, and have the life you want. All right, cool.
1: So um, another thing with the circumstances is, you know, one thing I've also found to be very helpful is thinking specifically about what the circumstances are. So ADHD is actually a description that, you know, a conglomeration of psychiatrists came up with and used to describe a constellation of behaviors. But like specifically, what are the things that, that are happening? One thing we do know is that it means my brain is deficient in dopamine. So that's the circumstance. My brain has less dopamine than it would want to function. So, um, That feels empowering, too, because then I get to go and play with the idea of having less dopamine and how it leads to exactly the kind of thing that you were just describing, which is like, it means I'm more likely to go out and look for exciting, interesting new things and engage with the world in a way that other people might not, because essentially I'm a dopamine junkie. and getting specific about, you know, the actual physiological differences can be very empowering because it also allows you to distance yourself from, you know, the labels and the words that we use to describe things that come with a lot of societal, you know, bullshit.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing from just listening to you is, um, it allows you to just have it as a circumstance, as opposed to be like I am the circumstance. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's a thing. That that happened much like, you know, if I, you know, had a mole on my arm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that isn't like actually negative, <laughs> like some sort of difference. I mean, my hair is brown. Like my hair is not brown right now, but like it's naturally brown. That's kind of what that is. It's like, oh, this is a part of who I am, but it's not I don't identify, like my identity is not shaped by having brown hair.
0: Yeah, cool. So does that sufficiently cover circumstances and thoughts? I think that's a good discussion of circumstances. I'm sure we'll
1: return to it when we think of like what to do next and what we want to do about it. How about thoughts? So thoughts are sort of the next thing. So essentially, in response to external stimulation and things happening in the world, we have things that happen in our brain which some of which are thoughts. Maybe the biggest thing here is, is sort of tied to the circumstances, which are, you know, are the thoughts disempowering. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think of if there would be some reason that someone would have trouble identifying the thoughts in their head. Because that could be a thing.
0: Yeah. And I also would have you consider that even people who are neurotypical also have difficulty identifying the thoughts in their head. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not something that is terminally unique. It's something that is universal because we don't normally talk this way. We don't normally take dis- have distance from ourselves and our thoughts. We normally just identify wholesale and keep moving. So it is normal for any human brain who has no facility with distinguishing themselves from their thoughts to have, to, to need some practice in identifying what they are separate from who they are. Yeah. And, and I think
1: to add a nuance on top of that is like a lot of the things that we are trying to understand and make, make visible are unconscious thoughts. So how do you actually bring visibility to things that you aren't even familiar with thinking? They're just, you know, there in your brain. How do you even do that? Like, if you try to like, how practically do I do that? How do I actually make subconscious thoughts, you know, conscious thoughts? It's not like something where you can like write an instruction manual, at least not
0: easily. And it doesn't really matter in this conversation like how you compare to a different person's brain. Yes. I think what's happening is a lot of comparison. Like sometimes when I'm coaching, people will jump out of doing the work in front of them and have the thought that somebody different, better or more experienced would have greater facility with the questions I'm asking to support them as a coach. And Having that thought and going into <laughs> the that comparison trap is, I would argue, is probably not beneficial. And I don't think that you are any more or less seduced into comparison simply because you might have a different brain. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. So I think
1: maybe the solution here is just recognizing every brain is going to have different thoughts and different things that come up and that comparing comparing brains regardless of their you know neurotypical or atypical status is just not useful.
0: Yeah, and I know that something that we talked about is hey, when you get into a comparison trap like this, is this just internalized ableism, which is just discrimination in favor of abled body people? So, are you discriminating against yourself? By even going into this comparison exercise, assuming that there is some straw person who is better than you because you think that they might have a more able brain.
1: Yeah. Or that something is by definition easier or harder because someone has a different brain than you. So it's simply thinking that like by definition, it's going to be harder for you to think or feel X compared to everyone else. I don't think serves you. Like I think it just isn't something that, that is that going to lead to a useful place for most people.
0: Yeah, and I often wonder because these words, these disorders, these diagnoses are relatively new. So even when you go into this comparison trap, there are probably a lot of historical oh. figures or people who have been lost in history who probably have gone through life undiagnosed with this condition simply because the name for it didn't exist until now. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. And and so I would, you know, challenge brains to consider when they're thinking, oh, it's only like this person who has an able neurotypical brain, who was able to accomplish the thing I want, that we actually don't know other people's History or other people's internal life or other people's brains. And so when we get into this um, fantasy, it doesn't serve us and it's not necessarily based in facts and actual circumstances. Yeah, I agree.
1: That's brilliant. So good. And I think that's actually a good segue because I think the thing that might, in fact, be the most challenging for people, certain neurotypical f- people actually is the feelings, which, you know, follow the thoughts. We all have different brains. We all have different thoughts, but feelings are are a struggle for all of us. Um, I, I don't think anyone could, would say that like they are a hundred percent in touch with what they feel at every moment in time. I think that would be impossible. You wouldn't be able to get anything done if nothing else. So But I do think this is where maybe some of the nuances in certain um, different nervous system configurations show up the most. Cool,
0: more.
1: Yeah, so um, I was doing a little research on this because um, I have worked with people who are um, autism spectrum, uh, also people who have schizoid personality disorders. These are disorders which do in fact affect how, um, at least by definition, like if you look at their diagnostic criteria, they are disorders or, you know, bunny quotes disorders that um, affect um, identification of feelings and the ability to express feelings to others. So I dug a little deeper with this and apparently there is a word for this called, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, Alexa or thymia, which is actually um, a difficulty identifying feelings. And it's not like 100% associated with some of these neurodivergent labels, but for example, they estimate 50% of people who are autism spectrum have alexithymia. But what's also interesting is it's actually estimated to be about 10% of the population independent of neurodivergent people. So it's not just neurodivergent people who have difficulty identifying their feelings.
0: So here's a question. Is it necessary to be able to identify your feelings for coaching to work? I know, right? Really good question. I don't know. Is it? (laughs) Because for instance, do they have any problem identifying what they do from their thought? I think so, yes. I do think that shows up sometimes where it's like,
1: how does this thought lead to the action? But it might not. It probably is def- somewhat dependent, uh, dependent on the person as well. You know, how, how mu- much are they able to identify their thoughts
0: and what they do? Because I'm wondering, like, you know, if ultimately you have that your thoughts create your results and, like, the path to get there just happens to go through feeling land and happens to go through action land then is it necessary because it sounds like feelings and actions are just hows right how necessary is it to identify your feeling in order for <laughs> you to to be like coached and i say this also so i'm just going to bring up another like stereotype right if we're just talking about the like some of the pitfalls of this, in this conversation is because of the stereotypes we hold in our brains or assume other people have about us but like so another stereotype could be like oh men aren't as in touch with their feelings as women are right and i'm wondering if we allowed ourselves to buy both of these thoughts wholesale these stereotypes is it true that like men benefit differently or need different types of coaching simply because, you know, we have the thought, oh, like they can't identify their feelings as well.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly, certainly I think there's plenty of evidence out in the world that that's not true, given there are plenty of men who benefit from coaching. And I certainly I coach men. Um, I don't know. Do you coach men? I have them in my practice.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. They seem to get plenty of benefit from coaching, even if they, you know, are less in touch with their feelings. Uh, We're stereotyping just to be clear once again, this is actually true of all men, you know, this is a thought exercise hypothetical.
0: Yeah. So I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering how important it is, um, And it could just inherently have value, right? To develop the practice of identifying your feelings. But I'm, I'm personally just wondering, is your facility with feel with feelings, a deal breaker for you having the life that you want in case this is a place where people can experience a a room for improvement, right?
1: And maybe, I mean, one thing I've certainly been thinking about is like, everyone has feelings. Like it's just sort of definition through, from what we understand about humans. We have feelings, just some people struggle to label them. So what if you don't need to label them to experience feelings too? Like, so maybe that's also an alternate route. It's like, maybe then we talk more about the sensations in our body and we don't necessarily label, you know, having tight shoulders and, uh, you know, a lump in your throat as anxiety. Maybe we just say, I have tight, right now, if I close my eyes and get into my body, you know, I feel like I have tight shoulders and a lump in my throat. Is that, is that enough?
0: Yeah. And then what do you do when you have tight shoulders and a lump in your throat? Yes, exactly. What do you do about it? And we don't have to necessarily jump to the feelings wheel. We can just stay with the physical sensation.
1: Yeah. And I think that is actually probably the solution
0: you know, or one of the solutions
1: um in working with people who might have trouble labeling their feelings. Um and, and once again, this is not just people who are neurodivergent, though it's I would say, you know, part of some of those those labels. But you know, I think it's something for a lot of people. It's like getting back to the sensations in your body and and really getting in touch with them. That might be enough. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I think this is widely applicable in all coaching too. Like you know, sometimes our, we treat thoughts as feelings, um, you know, essentially our feelings actually are a little more visceral than, than we let them
0: be. Mm-hmm.
1: But yes, do you need, how much awareness do you need to both experience it and, and potentially t- change it? Yeah. Yeah, this is some interesting stuff. Yeah. Anyone who is familiar with disassociation, essentially what we're describing, you know, is is part of disassociation. So getting back into your body and your experience of life as a human, I think that's, isn't that at least like what coaching is?
0: Yeah. And also, I want to honor that there are some benefits to disassociation because 100% <laughs> for anybody who has any experience with trauma, there's a reason why you and your brain think it's a good idea to step outside of a certain emotional experience. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, In fact, um, this was something, you know, I'll share this from a vulnerable place. Um, One of the things that I've struggled with, I gained weight after um, I was sexually assaulted because as it turns out, one of my dissociative coping mechanisms was eating and um and binge eating and i actually got coached about this cuz i was you know very frustrated by it and um one of the things that was offered to me that was you know completely transformative was like isn't it great that your body actually had a way to deal with this deeply traumatic event like imagine if you had no coping mechanism whatsoever like how how shitty would that have been and i was like oh wait yeah i really am glad that i was able to like numb because had i not been able to numb i actually would have been much worse off. I would I had PTSD anyway. <laughs> so yes, so this di- association is neutral. Everyone's gonna have a different menu of actions depending on how they're feeling. And maybe one of the things we can help with is help expand that menu if someone has a very limited menu of actions associated with a particular feeling. The reason I'm thinking of this is I'm thinking of a particular client who struggled with social interaction. So one of the things that we did was sort of you know Incrementally make more actions available depending on, you know, how someone was feeling. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: Cool. So then I guess when we look at results, are results any different? How are they different, if at all? If results come from thoughts, then I think it's just going to be
1: different for everyone because it's going to be based on us all each having different brains.
0: Great. But it sounds like. How we have it is people who are neurodivergent don't necessarily have any different access to different results because they do have the same access to all the thoughts.
1: Yes. Which means as a coach, if you find a client saying, you know, I only have this available to me because of, you know, my ADHD or whatever they identify as, that's somewhere to delve. If they think, you know, I can only make X number of dollars per year because I can't hold it down a job or like, and that's a thought, but like, they would think that the result is, you know, making say $50,000 a year is out of reach for them because of that, that would be an area to actually tease apart and question. Yeah. It's because of their thoughts about their, their particular label.
0: Yeah. And so this is great because I think it transitions into what we were gonna, wanted to talk about, which is what does this mean for us as coaches? And one thing that I know we both wanted to highlight was in the event that your client, especially if you have a different neurological history than this client, has a thought as the expert and the person with the diagnosis that sounds disempowering, it does not support your relationship, you as coach or the client to get into the pool with them. So that is something that we can often see happen is the assumption that they they have greater experience, skills, and expertise in this area. So their thoughts about their condition are right, especially in the event that they're disempowering. So when you said that in terms of what if you had a client who had the thought, I can't make more than 50K because of this disorder, I can't hold down a job. It just automatically makes me think like, oh, this person assumes that all jobs, right? There's an assumption about all jobs. There's an assumption about what needs to happen to create 50K. And and there's an assumption that All of these access points are unavailable to them. And it makes me wonder if it's true. Yeah.
1: And I think our responsibility as coaches is to be willing to point some of those things out, even when it might be uncomfortable. Because essentially, you're there to show them their own mind. And sometimes their mind is going to be the thing that is, you know, oppressing them that is making them, I mean, not just sometimes, almost all the time. Um, it's gonna be the thing that's limiting them, which means it is your responsibility to sometimes speak up and be like, is it really true that that your ADHD means you can't ever have a job? Is it true that, you know, your ADHD means you can't do these things? Yeah. And be willing to question that, be willing to be uh, uncomfortable because you know, it's possible that someone will in fact not respond 100% positively to having their sort of assumptions
0: questioned, but that's true in all coaching. Yeah. And this is, makes me think of a client who I don't know if they would identify as neurodivergent, but does identify as somebody with a chronic illness. Right. And I say that only because the thoughts about that circumstance can be parallel and the thoughts may be, I can't have like the nine to five, which does that exist anymore? We don't know, but I can't have like this kind of office corporate job because of like my physical limitations. And look, that may be true. That may be a circumstance, right? However, the things that I would challenge are like, is it true that all jobs, right? Right. <laughs> require like this, Corporate nine to five presence? Is it true that the only way to generate 50K or more in revenue is through a job? And is it, you know, and just to like expand beyond perhaps what might be a limited focus on whatever they're showing themselves in their brain as being. The only way to have access to their dream in the event that their dream is hitting a certain income level. Yeah.
1: yeah. and and it's both noticing their internalized ableism, but also your internalized ableism. Like, what are you thinking of as possible for your client based on what they've shared about their brain and body? Are you thinking that they're limited in some way, shape, or form? Are you, more gentle with them than you would be with other people because you feel like you need to be because of, you know, their different brain or body. Like, what are you as a coach bringing into your session with them that is affecting how much you're willing to fight for them and how much you're willing to like see their possibility in their future?
0: Yeah. And just to make the distinction You know, where it's like, what information are you getting from them versus what information are you getting from your own thoughts about them that is impacting your coaching? Because I do coach on a gradient. However, it's from the information that I'm getting from them that shows me that, hey, we need to make a few more stepping stones to get them where they are. They're not ready to take as big a leap as opposed to I'm just assuming, oh, this person won't jump. So yeah, I'm just going to have to coach them on accepting that they will never have a job and they will never make 50k. You know.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think sort of the the summary of what we've talked about today is essentially like meet people where they're at regardless of what kind of brain they have. Yeah. Individualize your coaching, individualize how you view them and don't bring your own baggage to bear on on coaching them. Because as it turns out all of these things don't have to be that different. You might have to go deeper in certain areas, say either, you know, in uncovering thoughts or something, but that's true of everyone. You're you can never sort of, you know, have the exact same approach for every human.
0: And I want to invite coaches to consider that in the event that you can't coach yourself out of getting into the pool with your client and um, yes, anding their disempowering thoughts about themselves that maybe you're not the coach for them. It's totally okay and perhaps the most empowering thing for them to find another coach who can actually serve them where they're at, who actually does not have the same ceiling that you might. And it might just simply be a part of your coaching journey now that you have that data to start, you know, Dismantling some of your own internalized conditioning or thoughts, etc., so that this way you can come back and serve somebody else in the same capacity better.
1: Hundred percent. And I think I think something we can all do as coaches then is also coach ourselves or get coached on our internalized ableism, like both for ourselves and others, because we all have things that you know feel feel empowering and feel disempowering. So, you know, maybe one of the things that we all st- all can do is is make sure that we like the thoughts we're having about certain you know disorders and chronic illnesses and all of these kind of things even just questioning where those beliefs come from and why we have them i think can be incredibly um powerful as a coach i certainly know my own work on understanding my own my own differences has been the thing that has taken my coaching to the next level like essentially thinking about my own internalized ableism and oppression. That is the thing that has made me a better coach. So, so I think working on that is also a very empowering thing you can do to sort of sharpen the tools in your toolbox.
0: Yeah. And while we're talking about whether or not you're the coach or or they're the client for you, I know something that is also a part of our training as coaches is knowing What they want out of coaching is not best served in a coaching container. So is really something what they want is for their psychological well-being? And is that actually better served by somebody in a therapeutic container? Or like something that I do is a lot of my clients do have a therapeutic container. And then how can we partner with that? To ensure that what we're doing is in alignment with what they're getting done to support their psychological well being. So, a lot of times, I will often bring the therapeutic suggestions into the coaching container and be like, What have you gotten out of therapy about this? And what are the actions, suggestions, et cetera, from that? And how or what support you need implementing that in your life? Because a lot of that may be about they're developing the awareness and they just may need coaching support to actually put it in space and time, translate it into actions so that they actually see a transformation. I love that. Yeah,
1: 100%. I have nothing to add because that was so perfect.
0: Cause,
1: cause no one can do it do 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 it all right so to wrap this up let's talk about you know the things we love this week. I'm gonna shoot it over to you because I in my very characteristic self have to think about it for a second.
0: Yeah, well, I watched because I've been wanting to talk about this. So hopefully one of your listeners, all of your listeners will be able to relate to me, which is in early pandemic, I watched Love is Blind. And they recently released Love is Blind after the altar. So a two-year anniversary special, I guess. Has it been two years? I don't know from when they had originally taped Love is Blind. And like, I am not normally a reality TV watcher. So perhaps this had a lot of novelty for me, but I just loved it. To me, I was like, this is high art because the way that the new love triangles were mirroring old love triangles and how you could see the baggage that was having an impact on the way that they were taking sides in new arguments that were happening. So, I mean, to me, I'm just like, I want to dissect Love is Blind after the altar with someone, like the way that you would do in a book club or a reading group. And I guess I'm trying not to say anything that happened to not offer any spoilers or to give away any personal biases that I have. But I'm just saying like people who poo-poo like reality TV haven't watched Love is Blind after the altar. I'm
1: pretty sure reality TV is in fact coaching porn because it just allows you to indulge in all of the things that you want to like help people with. Or at least for me, I'm like, oh man, you know, got to work on that, you know, self-belief. Oh, look at why you're doing this.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for me, I did uh, invite um, a relationship coach. We know I'm like, I want you to do give me a breakdown of like where everything has gone wrong in all of these relationships as we see it on TV, which I'm sure there's a lot we don't see. Um, But if if we're going to talk about reality TV as coaching porn, like my favorite is Great British Bake Off. So good. Because I think it, it teaches people, right, who they need to be in order to do things in spite of or because they're having feelings sufficient to creating a result and their thoughts and feelings about the result they created. May not actually be true according to an expert in the same field. Oh,
1: I know it's so good. I'm not even going to get in if we're going to have to have like a whole episode about the great the coaching lessons of the Great British Bake Off because I'm a Great British Bake Off fan. All right, my favorite thing this week are Toyota cars, and I say this because I am not a car person. So anyone who like likes luxury cars and fast things, I'm not speaking to you. But I have a 2012 Prius C. And in the what, 10 plus 11 years I've owned it and nine, I don't know, whatever. The long time that I've owned this, this car has never needed repairs beyond routine maintenance and replacing things that like just wear out. So my old Prius C I had to bring into the shop um, because I couldn't turn it on. And it turns out it just needed a new battery. And the battery was a million years old and needed to be replaced. And that was it. And so I get my car back and it's, it works all the time and it's so fucking reliable and I love it because I don't have to worry about it, which is why Toyota, you know, where you should buy your cars for li- reliability. Great. And this is not an ad. This is not an ad. I have not been compensated for for a promo. Happy to have my car back and have it working.
0: Yay. All right. So we will see all of you until next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us with Clarity Call. Wanna take this conversation about coaching online?
1: We'd really love to hear from you. So you should reach out to us on social media.
0: You can reach out to me, Nancy. I am a coach for creatives. I help you create the art, money and impact you want. You can find me on Instagram at TheNancySun.
1: And if you wanna connect with me, Meg Kirstead, Um, You can also find me on Instagram at Meg Kirstead, and that's spelled K-I-E-R-S-T-E-A-D. I help ADHDers and other neurodivergent badasses redesign their work and lives to fit with their unique brains. And I also have an incredible community called the Black Sheep Playground, which is the best place in the entire world for you to come
0: and play if you have ADHD great. You can find our Instagram handles in the show notes. So feel free to give us a follow until next time.